this picture that I'm going to show you behind me, it appeared on the Saturday Morning Post in October 1936. And it shows a little old lady and a butcher. And the title of this painting, uh, as it would suggest, uh, is, is called Tipping the Scales. And both of which that are trying to tip the scales in their favor. Uh, and by showing this moment that is captured in this piece of art, you look at that and you would think that uh, they both have this same smile on their face. It's amazing how they both think that they're getting away with something. They both think that they're getting a good deal. And yet, uh, we see that both of them have zero clue what the other one is doing. Uh, so, And I don't think that we would go so far as to call either of these people thieves. Uh, a few cents here, saving a few cents, or uh, charging a few cents more. Uh, you wouldn't really say that that's that big of a deal. But... Nonetheless, that would be considered stealing. And that's exactly what we will be talking about tonight. Uh, commandment 8 out of 10. And uh, we're going to jump right in. So open up your Bibles to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20. And again, we're going to be starting in verse 1. And we'll read all the way through 15. And God spoke all of these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth below and that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me. But showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. For the Lord will, hold, will not hold him guiltless, he who takes the, uh, his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all of your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You or your son, your, your daughter... Your male servant, your female servant, or your livestock, or his sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day, made it holy. Honor your father and mother, that your days may be long in the land, and that the Lord God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal. You know, this is another one of those commandments that um, seems really, really simple. Don't steal. Check. Got it. Let's pray. Let's go home, right? Um, what's mine is mine. What's yours is yours. And we just need to learn that and we need to accept it and move on. But let's look at, uh, take a deeper look at what this eighth commandment really means. Uh, the Hebrew word here that... Uh, Stealing is talking about is the word ganoth, and it means to carry something off as though by stealth. You know, and there's a lot of very obvious uh, methods of stealing, and we're going to mention a few of those right now. Uh, one of my favorite commercials is a State Farm commercial, and it's of this guy who breaks into this lady's apartment 
because he sees this couch that he really likes. You may have seen this commercial, and his buddies are talking about it. And he goes, ooh, I saw this, and I just had to have it. He breaks into this house. I saw this. I couldn't, I couldn't help myself. He goes, is that suede? Yes, it's suede. Ooh, I love suede, right? You may have seen that commercial. And that's how a lot of people uh, go about daily lives. It's very clever to make uh, the thief uh, kind of look uh, funny and humorous and acceptable in that commercial. Don't worry about it. We got you covered, right? Uh, But stealing someone else's property is wrong. You know, when we talk about burglary, when we talk about taking someone else's property, breaking into a building to steal someone else's property, we talk about larceny, um, um, taking something without asking for it, without any thought of returning it. Now, some of you may be looking around the room, you're like, hey, I got some friends like that. They asked to borrow something. I've had, I have many friends who've borrowed things. And it's almost funny that you have to go and ask for the stuff back. They're oh, forgot, sorry. Uh, that might be considered stealing. We'll see. Anyway, shoplifting, going into a store, taking something without paying for it. Uh, embezzlement, 2016 Security Magazine says employees will cost U.S. businesses around $50 billion a year from embezzlement. I want you to, that's in the United States, $50 billion a year embezzled uh, through people. So I'll I show you this picture up on the screen. It's an office. Uh, I do not know if any of these people in this picture are embezzlers. But you don't have to have a mask on and be wearing a black shirt and a black mask to be a thief, right? You could be that type of a person sitting at a, compu- at a computer and you could be just as much a thief as anyone else. There's also some, um, some less obvious ways of stealing. Uh, maybe you steal office supplies. Um, maybe you, uh, I'm just going to put this out there because I think it's funny. But my wife always laughs at how many Emmanuel pins we have at our house. Anybody else have like 15 or 30 or 40 at their house? whole drawer full of Emmanuel pens and all of the ones that we've had over the past. And she's like, really? Do you really need this many? Oh, I just put them in my pocket. I forget. Anyway, uh, so we, we steal a lot of stuff. One hotel, I looked some stuff up on people who experience uh, thievery in their businesses. I found one hotel that reported having to replace 38,000 spoons in their first year of business. 38 thousand spoons in the first year of business. That'll take a chunk out of the proceeds, right? Um, I have an aunt, kind of sad to admit this, but we would go to her house on Thanksgivings and there would be all this different silverware in the silverware drawer. And we're like, how? And if she ever went to a restaurant and she felt like they did not give her good service or charged her too much for the food, she would take the silverware. (laughs) And we laugh about it but it's very much stealing, okay? We'll just leave it at that. Uh, as in my youth pastor days, um, the kiddos used to make a very big game out of stealing Whataburger numbers. Anybody else? Uh, that we have, uh, I, I know of a student um, who decorated their Christmas tree in college with Whataburger numbers. And whether you want to call it stealing or not, it's stealing, right? Uh, There's a lot of people that steal from the government. 
maybe on your taxes, maybe you make false claims on social security or claims of disability, uh, steal from your work, maybe you mark down too much time on your timesheet, maybe you call in sick when you just want a day off and you want to go to the movies. Those might be forms of stealing. Uh, I think one of the biggest uh, takeaways today is doing personal things on company time. Uh, and I know that with social media and other things, uh, we can get so wrapped up in those things. And before you know it, you've spent an hour on social media and you've taken away from working. So when we do not do those things, uh, in Riken's book, uh, he said this, Employee theft of time and property cost American businesses and their investors more than $200 billion a year. From people who just aren't working when they're supposed to be working. $200 billion a year. We could get into the whole credit card thing and how people um, will charge ridiculous amount of interest for us to buy things that we may not need. Uh, I found the highest, the top rate in U.S. history at any given time was 79.9% interest. Hopefully your credit card's not that much. If it is, let's talk after church tonight. Uh, I, the, the, as of this year, on Wallet Hub, I found that the highest rate today is a, uh, the, what's called the total Visa card. And it's 30% interest, 29.99% interest on that credit card. So stay away from the total Visa. Uh, anyway, there's also dece deceptive merchandise. Uh, the, uh, this past Christmas, we thought we would get our, uh, I thought we would get my son a Nintendo. They have this old one where it's a smaller Nintendo and it has all the games downloaded onto it. I thought, we should get that. And I found this website where it looked really like a really good deal. And it was a really good deal, except for it wasn't really a Nintendo. It was like a Chinese uh, version of the Nintendo and it had to be shipped all the way from overseas and it took like three weeks to get here uh, and what ended up being a $25 good deal ended up being not what we thought it was so uh, it's deceptive merchandising they make you think you're buying something that you're really not it's kind of like when you buy a car this is the greatest deal you're going to love this car. It's never going to break down for you. But after you buy it, they're like, well, let's talk about this package where you buy all this insurance, bumper to bumper, 82,000 years, all that good stuff. So um, they have copyright infringements. Uh, that's why I think most music now is sold online because Napster uh, made music available for free. For free, right? So... Uh, we see that there's all sorts of theft in America and comes in all different forms. Uh, when you plagiarize something, when you claim that something is your work and it's really not your work, that would be considered um, theft. So all these different ways. So let's look at this, what the Heidelberg Catechism uh, summarizes the Eighth Commandment by saying this. And I think this is in your notes. It says, God forbids not only outright theft and robbery, but also such wicked schemes and devices as false weights and measures, deceptive merchandising, counterfeit money. So we must not defraud our neighbor in any way, whether by force or by show of right. In addition, God forbids all greed and all abuse squandering of his gifts. But in, when it comes to stealing... Um, I think we all have a problem, and we all have a problem because we are all doing it. 
theft is a problem in all of our lives. And according, uh, again, to the book Written in Stone by Riken, he says nearly 90 for, 90% of evangelical Christians claim that they, have, that they never break the Eighth Commandment. So we just read earlier, you shall not steal. And I would be willing to bet that a lot of us, even in this room, thought, I'm good there. I don't steal. I'm honest on this. I'm honest on that. I don't steal from people. And I think uh, we can either be really, really encouraged by that, that 90% of evangelical Christians don't steal, or we can be a little fearful in that uh, there's a huge misunderstanding of what this commandment really means. So, And that's one of the reasons why I have enjoyed... um, walking through the Ten Commandments because it's helped me to look at my own life and to examine some areas of which I fell in the Ten Commandments. And I think it's no different. This command is no different than the rest of them. Uh, Martin Luther said this, If we look at mankind and all of its conditions, it is nothing but a vast, wide stable full of great thieves. You know, I think he put the word great there for a reason. Because we're really good at it. We're really good at stealing. We're really good at being a thief. So much that he also followed that up by saying, if, we, if all thieves were to be brought to justice, he said this, it is the smallest part of these that, thieves that are hung. If we're to hang them all, where would we get rope enough? We must make our belts and straps into halters. So he's saying, we didn't have enough rope if we were to try to hang all the thieves in the world. So it's a serious thing. So breaking the Eighth Commandment. Let's look at the positive negative. And we'll start with the negative. Number one here. Stealing is a sin. Taking something that is not yours is a sin. And I'll give you a very concrete example. When I was seven years old, I was in the first grade, Marietta Elementary School. And every Friday before football games, the cheerleaders would come to our class and they would sell ribbons, spirit ribbons. We grew up in a real small school. So they sold these ribbons and it would say, beat the team that you were playing that week and you could buy a little pin and you pin it on your shirt and you spirit week, right? We were poor. We didn't have much money. And I would ask my dad every week, can I have a dollar for a ribbon? No, we don't have it. So one night I woke up. Everyone was still asleep. I walked into my dad's bedroom. I got his wallet, and I got a dollar out. He had seven bucks. I took one of them, okay? And it's amazing to think that a seven-year-old, I didn't know Jesus. I didn't have any concept of stealing is a sin. Yet, I knew exactly what I was doing was wrong. My heart was beating out of my chest. I felt terrible, terrible about it for weeks, I was dumb enough to wear the ribbon home, and my dad said, where'd you get that? Uh. And then I broke the ninth commandment. After that, my friend got it for me, right? Um, But it's amazing how we know down in our soul that it's wrong. There's something that when you take something that's not yours, it's sin. And it's not just sin against your neighbor. It's sin against the holy God. So stealing from God is a sin in two different ways. Well, number one, when we steal, we fail to trust God to be our provider. 
In essence, we are looking at God and we are saying, I do not trust you to provide for me the way that you are going to. So therefore, I am going to take things into my own hands. I'll take this matter into my own hands. I'll do it myself. You're saying, I don't trust you. I don't trust you to provide for what we need. So when we steal, we fail to trust God. Number two, when we steal, we are stealing God's ability to provide for other people. To provide for others. God has provided for other people. And when we take from those people, we are taking away not just from them, but how God has provided from them. So in essence, you're stealing from God. Because he gave them that stuff. And we're stealing that. So there's your negative side of it. You know, 100% when you steal in any form of stealing that you may do, you are stealing from God. Well, let's look at the positive side of it. And the positive side of it goes to ownership. We take great pride in owning stuff. Uh, The Eighth Commandment assumes the right of ownership. Uh, I remember one time coming out of the movie theater uh, with some friends at the mall uh, on a Friday night and I'm hitting my alarm in my, or my lock. You know, you try to find your car. Where's my, my, where's my car? And I see the lights flickering and then I see no tailgate. And I was like, no, that can't be my truck. And the closer I get, that is my truck. And the tailgate's just gone. Someone drove up, stole the tailgate off of it and left. And I remember how I felt. I cannot believe that happened to me while I was in the movie. And you feel, you feel uh, wronged. You, felt, you feel like there's something that's happened that you can't do anything about. And it makes you feel terrible. And of course it takes like six months to get it replaced in Odessa. To get the right paint color. All of those things. So, um, but I remember how it made me feel. And that's because God has wired inside of us. The right to own property, okay? The right to own private property. And if that weren't true, then this command really wouldn't make any sense if we didn't have the right to own property. But what the Bible really is talking about when it talks about ownership, ownership of property, uh, uh, the ownership of possessing things, it's not to use for our own purposes, okay? But receiving things and doing with them uh, things that bring honor to, to God. We are to bring God glory and honor by how we use his stuff that he's placed into our care. So um, we are required, um, when you think about ownership, we are required to use what we have in ways that are pleasing to God. And another word that you would say that that is is stewardship. We are God's stewards with stuff. Uh, which brings us to number two. One, stealing is a sin, but number two, keeping is as much a sin as taking. I mean, this is our situation. Uh, We are in possession of God's property. It would be very healthy for us, if you do not look at your stuff in that way, it would be very healthy for us to start looking at our stuff as God's property. Yes, that includes your wallet. Yes, that includes your house. Yes, that includes your vehicle. Everything that you have You look at that as this belongs to God. And he has placed me as a steward over it. We think about Job. Okay, The Lord can give. The Lord can take away. 
Will we be faithful enough to say, blessed is the name of the Lord? Um, So, God has placed us as a steward over his stuff. He's given us the ability uh, and hopefully the desire to look after his stuff. Uh, Flip over to Genesis chapter 2. We'll see where this stewardship started. Started all the way back in the garden. We're going to be reading from verse 15. It said, And the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. So here is God and all of creation. He created it. He makes Adam and Eve and he placed them in the garden to work it. They didn't have to plant the garden, but they were to look out for it. Uh, So good stewardship over God's creation means that we take care of what he has placed in our care. We don't let uh, things fall apart beyond repair. We We aren't wasteful with the things that God has given us. We don't waste our money on stuff that we don't need. That's a big one uh, for myself as well as uh, maybe you that could be better spent on other things. So there are three basic attitudes towards what God has given us. Three basic attitudes when God has called us to steward um, what he's given us. There's three basic attitudes that we can give. Number one, what's yours is mine and I will take it. So I will take it. That's the attitude of a thief. What's yours is mine and I'm going to take it. Number two is what's mine is mine, so I will keep it. Uh, I would tell you that this is probably the most common attitude in our country. Uh, Hopefully it's not uh, with followers of Christ. But I think we're very proud of what we have. We're very proud of working hard and making lots of money. So what we have, we're proud of it. So therefore, we're going to keep it. So, Which brings us to number three. What's mine is God's, so I will share it. And this is the most Christ-like attitude that we can have when it comes to being a good steward of what God has given us. And I think that that's the one that we should all strive to be like. To realize that the things that God has given us belong to God. And that we should do everything in our power to share that and be good stewards over what God has entrusted to us. So how do we respond? We as Christ followers uh, first are called to give generously. We do not work simply so we can satisfy our own desires, but we should share what we have with other people. Now let me just back up and let me just say this. I am not saying at all that you can't enjoy what God has given to you. Okay, We are to To enjoy what God has given to us. But enjoying what God has given to us is a part of good stewardship. So, yes, enjoy what you have. But we have to remember that there's a bigger world around us. Uh, We have been blessed um, incredibly in the United States. Blessed financially, especially when you think about the wealth in the Permian Basin. And we've been blessed. And we should search out ways to share, to give, and to bless others. Um, we think about what we're doing right now with Operation Christmas Child. We think about what we're doing with Blessed to be a Blessing. That's why I enjoy this time of year because we get to give to other people. That's why we take a missions offering in the month of December, uh, November and December so that we can send missionaries out to go and to proclaim the good news. 
we do all of these things out of what God has given to us. We're buying things for boxes or we purchase boxes ourselves. We buy food to give to other people in need. We send missionaries around the world. We do those things with the gifts that God has given us. And when we do those, we are giving generously. Uh, That brings us to number two. It also means meeting the needs of other people. We should want to meet the needs of other people. And that extends to our church family. That extends to the poor in our city. That extends to maybe your neighbor across the street. And that extends around the world. Uh, Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 15. Deuteronomy 15 and verse 10. says, You shall give to him freely. And your heart shall be grudge shall not be grudging when you give to him, because for this is the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and all that you undertake. So God is saying, you know what? We should give freely. It shouldn't be with a, a grudging heart. We should be very uh, quick and easy to let go of our stuff if it could be a blessing to someone else. And that's a part of meeting the needs of other people. And that's being a good steward of what God has given to us. Uh, flip over to Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 6. So we're going to look at something that I think this command is also telling us to do. Which it doesn't necessarily say, but it's definitely implied. Because good stewardship also means, and this is your last blank there, number three, working hard. You know, this is the second command that I have taught on, uh, out of the four that I've taught on, that did not say work hard, but it implies to work hard. We are to work hard. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 10 and 11. says, A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. This is pretty much saying... If you're lazy, you will become poor. When you become poor, you will want. And when you want, it will lead you to thievery. Uh, We see that laziness leads to poverty, leads to a desire to steal. And then uh, flip over to Proverbs 30. uh, Verses 8 and 9. Let's see what that leads to. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and still and profane the name of God. You know, when we are lazy, the Bible teaches us over and over that it will lead to poverty, it will lead to a desire to steal, and it will lead to forgetting the Lord and profaning the name of God. So it's important that we work hard. God has given us the ability to work. And when we do, it allows us to, in exchange, bless others with how the Lord blesses us as we work. And when we give generously, it goes beyond us, beyond today. Um, It's like paying it forward. It doesn't just stop with our one act of kindness A.W. Tozer says it like this. Any temporal possession can be turned into everlasting wealth. Whatever is given to Christ is immediately touched by immortality. Or to put it another way, the only way we'll ever see our money again is if we invest in the kingdom of God. 
if we invest in things that are of the kingdom of God. Those are the only way we're going to see that money again. Uh, Turn to Matthew chapter 6. I meet with a a group of guys on Fridays. And uh, we're walking through the Sermon on the Mount. uh, Sermon on the Mount. And um, I came across this verse. And it just so happened to fit perfectly with this. So uh, Matthew chapter 6. Starting in verse 19. Says, Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So where's your heart? Uh, I want you to think about where your heart is right now. Uh, are we more prone to keeping our stuff? Are we more prone to sharing our stuff? Is it something maybe that God uh, is telling us, and this is something, an area that maybe we can work on? Um, I think that we should all, you know, take a look at our, at our lives and examine whether or not we do enough. That's why Landon always will uh, tell you, pray about what you are to give. I want you to seek the Lord's advice. Because when, it's come, when it comes to us, with Thanksgiving around the corner, with Christmas around the corner, we got a lot of things that we could spend on. Taxes is coming up. Just don't forget about that one. We're real. We get really tight with what we have. Because we want to make sure that there's enough. Uh, the Lord loves a cheerful giver. And where your treasure is, there your heart is also. Um, so let's look at some Old Testament examples. Some Old Testament examples. Turn to Joshua 7. This is one of my favorite sections of the Bible where we see uh, Joshua leading the people of God into the promised land. They're crossing over into the promised land. They're about to fight this amazing battle uh, with Jericho. And we see that They devoted the city to destruction. Uh, God gave them victory. He let the walls fall down. But there was a very specific command to uh, put everything to destruction except for certain items. And those items were to be put aside for use in uh, God's temple and for the Lord's house. And everyone followed that command except for a guy named Achan. And Achan... Uh, thought he would take a few items um, to keep for his own. And we will see that it, as the people of God are led into the next battle, and, and Joshua at the end of Joshua chapter 6 and going into 7, we see that they um, get beat bad. It's, uh, they don't even send the entire army because they say, this is not a big deal, go take the city, and this will be an easy victory And yet, uh, they are defeated. And they run back, and Joshua is crying out to God, Why is this happening? And let's talk about that. Joshua chapter 7, starting in verse 10. And the Lord said to Joshua, Get up. Why have you fallen on your face? Israel has sinned. They have transgressed my covenant that I commanded them. 
They have taken some of the devoted things. How many, per, how many people took it? They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen and lied and put them under their own belongings. Therefore, the people of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. They turn their backs before their enemies because they have become devoted for destruction. I will be with you no more unless you destroy the devoted things from among you. So someone broke the eighth commandment. And God proceeded to give specific instructions to find the offender. Uh, So here is Achan. And he gathers up all the people. And they say, there is someone who has stolen something. And we need you to come forward. No one comes forward. So they have the 12 tribes. And it goes down to one tribe. And you would think that Achan would get the point. And then he dwindles it down. He's still in the circle. Dwindles it down. He's still in there. And he's like, no, this is bad. You got to know his heart. As much like me as a seven-year-old boy. Still in that dollar, right? His heart's pounding. It's going crazy. And it finally comes down to he knows exactly Joshua. Uh, God reveals who it is. Uh, Let's continue reading in verse 20. And Achan answered Joshua, Truly I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and this is what I did. When I saw among the spoil a beautiful cloak of Shinar and twenty shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing fifty fifty shekels, I coveted them and I took them. And see, they are hidden in the earth inside of my tent with the silver underneath. This would be the equivalent of... A $500 suit, a couple of hundred bucks of silver, and a couple of thousand dollars of gold. So let's roughly say $2,700 is what he stole. Um, And before Joshua and Achan crossed over into the promised land, Moses had given them very specific warning, a very strict command. He said, if you do not obey what God tells you to do, He says, be sure that your sins will find you out. Your sin will be there. And guess what? We'll know. And, of course, Achan didn't believe it. And Achan and his family were taken away and executed. Over 2,700 bucks. You know, the saddest part of this story is that in the very next battle, Israel goes in and they have a great victory over the town. And God gives them very specific commands of, you can keep whatever you find. So if he would have obeyed God here, he could have kept whatever they had, whatever they plundered in the next victory. They got to keep it. But he didn't obey. He didn't trust to look for the Lord's provision. And it cost he and his family uh, their life. So let's look at some New Testament examples. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. And I've put a ton of uh, scriptures in there. And you can look at those on your own. I'm going to read a few of them. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Starting in verse 6. We're going to look at how we should give. It says the point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. 
God loves when we give back to him. He loves when we give to his mission, his work, what he's doing. He loves when we give back to him. And it says it very specifically right there. God loves a cheerful giver. And when we do not give in that way, it's not honoring to God. So check your heart on that and how we should give. Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. And this is another great verse I really just enjoy when it comes to working hard and why we should work hard. Um, 428 says, Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Guys, we shouldn't have to steal. We should work. And as we work, we should be able to share with other people, especially those people in need. Uh, uh, one more verse, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. This is our state. This is who we are as lawbreakers of the 8th commandment. Verse 9. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexual immoral, nor adulterers, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. You know, um, that verse is scary to think that those people. You know, you think about some of the things on that list, you're like, well, amen, amen, amen. When it comes to thieves, you're like, yeah. Did he really, was he talking about like people who steal major stuff or was he talking about thieves? And if you've ever broken the eighth commandment, you are a thief. You are someone who steals. And that leads us to Jesus' act of obedience. Um, Jesus obeyed the Eighth Commandment fully by never stealing. When you look at this list of the Ten Commandments, every violation in the Ten, Commandment, in the Ten Commandments involves stealing in some form. When we worship idols, we are stealing from God's worship. Uh, when we don't observe the Lord's Day, we steal uh, His day away from Him. When we kill, we're stealing life. When we commit adultery, we are stealing purity from someone. When we lie, we are stealing the truth. The real theft is that every sin we commit dishonors God and steals the glory that is due to Him. You know, there are a lot of ways to steal from God that are not taking property from someone else. And I hope we see that. And left to ourselves, I hope we realize that we are in trouble. The state that we are in, we're in trouble. Which leads us to the second part of his obedience. Is that Jesus gave so that we could live. Matthew 27, 38 says, Then two robbers were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. This was fulfilling a prophecy that was in Isaiah 53. Where it said where Jesus would uh, die uh, with two thieves on his side. The gospel is the good news. The good news is that Jesus, God's son, died on a cross and rose again to give salvation to everyone who believes in him. Jesus 
died on the cross in place of sinners. Specifically in the place of thieves. Um, Matthew um, 27, the verse we just read, talks about those two thieves on both sides. When we really think about that, there were three thieves on the crosses that day. Three thieves. Because Jesus took our sin upon his shoulders. He took our breaking of the eighth commandment and every other commandment. And he placed it on himself. And God poured out his wrath and his judgment that was due to us upon his son. And he lived the life that we could not live. He died the death that we deserved. And he conquered death in the grave so that we could have life with the Father. Jesus gave his life so that we could live. Uh, flip over to 1 John chapter 4. We'll end with this verse. We're going to be reading verse 10. In this is love. Not that we had loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. He was the sacrifice for our sins. God made a way for us to be made right with the Father. 